0: If you would, take your Bible this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I'm going to start reading in verse 20, and I'm going to read down through verse 34. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead, and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, When he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, for he hath put all things under his feet. When he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted which did put all things under him. When all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all." Else what shall they do, which are baptized for the dead, if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Be not deceived, evil communications, corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. The title of the message this morning is eternal life by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Eternal life by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word today. We thank you that we have your word preserved for us down to the ages of times, and in our own language in the King James Bible. And thank you that we can have confidence and assurance in the power of the written word, and who is the living word of God, a revelation of God to man. And so, Lord, we pray as we look under your word today, that we be encouraged and strengthened in, in our confidence in the resurrection of our Lord, the Savior, Jesus Christ. And we thank you and praise you. We do pray that if there's many in our midst this morning who do not have the assurance of eternal life through him, have never submitted themselves, uh, have, have buried their own life, if you will, and their own will and their own ambitions and resurrected a new life in Christ through, through repentance and faith. I pray that the Spirit of God would convict them, convince them of a need of Christ today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There have been many very significant events that have happened in history that have changed the course of history some talk about the success of D-Day being a very uh, influential and changed the course of the world or, the, or the, the invention of the printing press by Gutenberg actually he really didn't invent printing but you know he did in Europe invented the printing press and it sort of brought the deliverance of the world from the dark ages where literature now became available to the people and, 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 and so on uh, the American Declaration and War for Independence certainly changed the world. Uh, you know, the U.S. has been a beacon of hope to the world, a protector of liberty, and you know, an exceptional nation, whether some like to admit it or not. But it's been abundantly blessed of God. You know, John Adams was right when he said, "Quote: Through all the gloom, and there was gloomy days. Those were gloomy days during the War for Independence." But he said. Quote, through all the gloom, I can see the rays of ravishing light and glory. I can see the end is worth all the means, unquote. He was right. But I'm going to make a very bold and declarative statement, a dogmatic statement here. But I believe the most significant, life-changing event that ever happened in history of mankind or the world is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He you know, has given hope to mankind, an expectation of eternal life. It has delivered men and women from the power and darkness of sin to receiving mercy and grace of Almighty God. It has given a man a, a purpose that is eternal, something or someone who is real to live and die for. It has made more people kind, loving, willing to sacrifice themselves or others that others may know of that same resurrection power of Jesus Christ, Yes, through all the gloom of the crucifixion of Christ, he also saw the glory that would follow. Peter says in First Peter 1, 10 and 11, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ which is in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. The glory that should follow. Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Yes, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most significant life-change event that I believe ever happened in the history of mankind. And there are many witnesses to the fact of the resurrection. You know, the Bible tells us that in, in, in this book, in fact, in this chapter and earlier in this chapter, Paul writes to the Church of Corinth and says he was feeding of more than 500 brethren at one time. You know, many, and and this message really isn't about to support him, but many have have sought to discredit, you know, lawyers or investigative journalists have sought to discredit and disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ and through investigation have come to conclude it can't be disproven. There's too much evidence. So as we consider this this morning, as we consider eternal life by the resurrection of Christ, I'm going to notice several things. First of all, the resurrection of Christ means that we also who know him as Lord and Savior will rise from the dead. It assures us also of eternal life. In verse 20 it says, But now is Christ risen from the dead. You know, this this church, there were some who were questioning whether the resurrection was literal. And there are many today who question whether the resurrection of Christ was literal. Was it a bodily or just did they see a ghost, you know? No, it was bodily. He said, Reach hither thy hand into my side, and and, and, and into my hands and into my side, and see and believe. It is I. Be not afraid. So now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. You know, when the the word firstfruits means that this is the first of the harvest, it's used in the Old Testament quite often. Uh, referring to the early part of the harvest, the, the first whatever's first ripe, and usually it's it, it's an indication that there's there's always more to come. Uh, the word firstfruits here is defined as the phrase seems to also signify that by his case the future resurrection of Christians is guaranteed. Because the first fruits forerun and are, as it were, a pledge and promise of the rest. Of the harvest so so when we talk about first fruits it means the first you know, you, you know if you had if you had a, a vine or you know uh, if you ever if you ever had a garden and had corn in it there's always some corn that ripens early and you know it's usually not a lot but the major part of the harvest is usually a little bit later after the what's first ripe and this is what the first fruits is and so this signifies that that there will be a greater harvest it speaks it speaks of them that slept. If you notice in verse 20, it says, But now as Christ risen from the dead, become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall we all be alive. But every man after his own order, so there's going to be an order, Christ the first fruits, verse 23, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. So, and of course, of them that slept speaks of those that that sleep speaks of temporary rest it's used here as a metaphor of death you know a sleeper does not cease to exist while he sleeps and the dead continue to exist despite the absence from the body sleep is temporary in the scriptures and, and just as you know, sleep is, the death of the body will also just be temporary just as Jesus' body was only dead three days and three nights. And so, so it speaks of those that slept. Uh, we see also that his resurrection declares that there is life beyond the grave. If you notice in verses 21 and 22, it says, For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Now, there is two men here that signify the heads of of two groups of mankind. And really, when you break it down, mankind, before God, before the righteous judge, there's only going to be two groups. There's not going to be white, black, Hispanic, Chinese, Korean, all this, you know, ethnic groups. There's not going to be any of that. Rich, poor, none of that. It's going to matter. There's going to be saved and lost. There's going to be those in Adam and those in Christ. And that's what he makes a distinction here. There's two groups. And so there's two heads. And he says, as in Adam, all die. It means they perish. It signifies, again, the natural man. Uh, Jesus spoke to the Pharisees in John chapter 8, verse 24. He says, I said therefore unto you, ye, that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. And the word de- death there means separation. Separation from God for all eternity. Condemned before a holy and righteous God. Condemned to an eternal hell. Where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Luke 13.3 Jesus said to the, to the Pharisees, Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Again, that's speaking of eternal death. In John 3, 18, He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. If if you are without Christ, if you refuse to believe on Him as your Lord and Savior, you are condemned before a holy, righteous God. You are guilty of sin before a holy and righteous God. You are in Adam. It's a man after the flesh. <laughs> you know, Hebrews eleven six 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. You know, it's impossible to please God without faith. Without faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. See, you must believe that is God the one who can reward you with eternal life. You can't get it on your own. Without faith, it's impossible to be made acceptable before God. Without faith. But we see also, it says, as in Adam all die, and we see the opposite of that. Even so, in Christ shall all be made alive. They'll all be made alive. That made alive means to be quickened, to be... Reanimated or, or to restore to life, if you will, is what that word means. Is to be delivered from death, to be delivered from condemnation. When we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as the only hope of eternal life, we were as we are, as it were, restored to a relationship with God which was lost through sin. Here the Bible says in Ezekiel several times, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. It shall die. In verse 21 here says, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Uh, in uh, Romans... Uh, I'm sorry, look at verse 21. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection from the dead. And just so, just by, as, as by Adam we received death, we received a sin nature, and we are sinners by choice and, and by, by nature, and, and, and therefore condemned before God, even so, through a man, the man Christ Jesus, came the resurrection of the dead or new life, a possibility of new life. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You know, we've been all made in the likeness of Adam, and therefore all guilty before God, therefore needing to be born again, or made alive, or quickened by God. In Ephesians chapter 2, and and verses uh, 1 through 5, the Bible says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, the word dead there means you're separated from, dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, we're by nature the children of wrath, even of others. We, we are the children of wrath. We're going to receive of the wrath of God if, if we live after the flesh, if we live uh, according to the dictates of this world, if we refuse to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. You know, verses 2 and 3 really describes a, a person just living as they please, according to the flesh. But God, verse 4 says, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, we're all born in sin. We're all all born in Adam. We have the sentence of death in ourselves. But in Christ, because our Savior rose victorious from the dead, we too can have life if we will put our faith and trust in, in His work on Calvary's cross for our sin. Put our trust in Him. He gives us life. Eternal life. We're made alive. Again, the wording is important. Made alive. Therefore, being justified by faith, that means we're declared righteous. We're made righteous by God. Not of ourselves, but by Him. Through the sacrifice of His Son. And so, therefore... We can be all be made alive in Christ Jesus. So the resurrection declares there is life. There's a life available beyond the grave for those who receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We see also this morning that the resurrection of Christ means that he will return, as he said. If you notice in verse 23, it says, but every man in his own order. It's talking about the resurrection here. Christ, the firstfruits, so that's talking about when Christ rose from the dead and he, and he brought forth the firstfruits. There were some of the Old Testament saints that came out of the grave and, 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 and went to heaven with him when he, he took them to heaven with him. And, and then it says, and afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. So they that are Christ. So Christ's resurrection assures us that he is coming for us in what we commonly call the rapture, or the Bible calls, refers to it as a catching away of those that believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is spoken of in several places in the Bible, in the New Testament particularly. In verses 51 and 52 of 1 Corinthians 15, 15 it says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. In other words, we're not all going to die. There are going to be some living. At the time when Jesus returns for His own, there's going to be some living. We may be that generation that's living. And, and, and 1 Thessalonians 4 will describe it more in detail. But he says, we all shall be changed. We may be living, but this old corruptive body has to be changed. It would be like, made like unto this glorious body. So, see, so your mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. He says, now in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, there's a there's few more details concerning this event, which we are looking forward to, those of us who believe in Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13 through 18 says, but I would not have you to be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep. So he's talking about those who have died in Christ and, and so, you know, when we're talking about those who are asleep, that, that indicates that they're still living if, they're no, if they weren't living. You know, some people think that you know, once you die, it's still, that's just it. You, you cease to exist. If you cease to exist, why are we talking about him? There's no such thing as annihilation. Neither is there soul sleep. But anyway, no, he says, "...which are sleep, that you saw or not, as others which have no hope. For if we believe, and here's the key word, if we believe, if we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior that Jesus died and rose again. We have, so we have, we have to believe in the, resur- the death and resurrection of Christ, even so them also which sleep, that have died, in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. The Lord Himself shall ascend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And so he says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. That's the key. We have to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And by believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we believe that he is... He is the acceptable sacrifice for our sin. We believe that He is the Lord. Because the resurrection proved He is the Lord. You know, this was, this was the promise that Jesus gave His disciples in John chapter 14. where He said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And, and, and I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you. Uh, uh, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And then he says in verse 6, I am the way. You know, Thomas said, Lord, we know not whither to go us. How can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but me. If you want want to go in the resurrection of Christ, you have to believe that he is the way. He is the way. You this is also pictured for us in the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 5 and verse 24, the Bible says, In Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now the word took means to seize or carry off. So God kind of seized Enoch and carried him off. You know, we know from Genesis chapter 5, 6, and 7 that this was a very wicked time right before the flood. Noah's preparing the ark. But God took Enoch. He caught him out before he brought judgment into the world by the flood. You know, the word in verse 17 of 1 Thessalonians 4, where it says caught up, means to seize, to carry off. The same thing that Enoch, happened to Enoch. God carried him off. And we will one day, who know Him, will be carried off. Hebrews 11.5 says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Again, well, how does one please God? Without faith it is impossible to please Him. We have to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that He is the one that rose from the dead. So we believe, we please God by believing on and receiving the sacrifice of his son for our sin. God did not suffer Enoch to see or experience the judgment of God poured out upon wicked men and women who had rejected him. He did not suffer it. See that. And God will not suffer us to see, to participate in, or to suffer the judgment he will pour out on the Christ-rejecting world during the tribulation period Recorded for us in Revelations chapter 6 through 19. You know, Revelation chapter 6 through 19 talks about some very catastrophic times. Death and destruction is everywhere. And it's very evident that the world knows that it's God judging them in his wrath. In fact, they said, the kings, you know, they said, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. But you see, in Revelation 4.1, preceding that, the Bible says this, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me. Trumpet. You know, verse 16 of 1 Thessalonians says, For the Lord himself should descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. 1 Corinthians 15 says, the trumpet. You'll hear the sound of a trumpet. And Revelation 4 says, I heard the voice, as it were, a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither, and I will show thee the things which shall be hereafter. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, 10 says, for God hath not appointed us. You know, Paul's there writing to the church at Thessalonica, and he says, God, look, God hasn't appointed us to... To the wrath, but to obtain salvation, or that word salvation means deliverance, by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. God had not pointed us to see the death and destruction of the wicked mankind, and He will take us away as He took Enoch away, before that time of judgment comes. God will not pour out His wrath on His own people. You might say, well, he did the children of Israel. The children of Israel were God's chosen people. That does not mean they were saved. And so we see here the resurrection of Christ means he will return as he said. Then you notice a third thing. The resurrection of Christ means also that he will reign. That he will reign. Verses 24 through 28. And I want you to notice how many times it talks about putting down, or putting under, or made subjection. It says that over and over in these these four verses. Verse 24, Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule, and all authority, and power, for he must reign, till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet, but when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. You know, the word put down means to cause a person or thing to have no further efficiency. To deprive of force, to deprive of influence. To, to, you know, it has the power to bring to naught to make of none effect. So, so the Lord Jesus Christ, what he's saying here, has the power to make of none effect all rule, all authority, all power. You know, there's a lot of people that are in this world that are flexing their muscles right now against mankind and against God. And they can get away with it for a time. There's going to come a day when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to put down all power, all authority, all governments. All of them. From Putin to Jinping, China, they're all going to be put down to the government of the United States. And Canada and Mexico, and you name all the big nations of the world and all the powerhouses of the world, they're all going to be put down. All these kingdoms are going to be brought to naught. And those wicked kings are going mean, to be the ones in Revelations crying out you know, and, and hiding under the rocks and the hills and saying, Hide us from the wrath of the Lamb! You're the rule of angels. You know, look, at, look at Romans. Let's look at a couple of passages of Scripture here. Romans chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God, which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which is made of the seed of David according to the flesh, declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. He's declared to be the Son of God with power. That word power there means might, strength. So, by the resurrection, by virtue of the resurrection, he's declared or revealed to be the Son of God with all power, all strength. Now, you go to the book of Revelation, and we see him that way. The book of Revelation reveals, really, the true person of Jesus Christ. You know, when he came the first time and appeared you know, as a babe in a manger and then grew to be a man and then, and then submitted himself to the, to the rule of the Romans and the, and the will of the people and allowed, him, allowed himself to be crucified. And he, again, he gave his life up. No, he, had, he had power to lay it down. He had power to take it again. You know, he, he told, he told uh, 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 Pilate, you know, uh, you have no power against me except we're given thee from above. You know, and it caused caused fear in Pilate. He was afraid. But he bowed to the will of the people. But here we see in Revelation who Jesus Christ really is. Verse 1, Revelation 1, 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which might shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Let's drop down to verse 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds. And every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kinds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. He's the Almighty God, and He's gonna come showing Himself to be the Almighty God. And His resurrection, it, it, it declares that He is one day gonna come and rule and reign over all the kingdoms of this world. He's gonna rule, he, he has the rule of angels and demons and all these, uh, and, and, and they long, no longer will be able to, to, to defy His authority or do as they please. This power consists and rests upon armies and forces. So when the Lord comes, all will be subjected to and judged by Him, by that man whom God hath ordained. As Paul told us in Acts chapter 17. The one who will judge the quick and the dead. In fact, look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verses 7 through 12. Again, the, there was... This was a time of great persecution, and Paul was writing to the, the persecuted church at Thessalonica, and he says this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7, and to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed, that's he's really the revelation is the, is the revealing of him. So when he will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power, when He shall come to be glorified in His saints and be admired on all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. So when He is revealed, He's going to take vengeance. The day of vengeance is coming. You know, for thousands of years, man has exalted himself against God. For one of these days, the day of vengeance is coming. And God's going to take vengeance on those that obey not the gospel and punish them with everlasting destruction. Revelation 19 describes the supper of the great God. And he he tells the fowls of the air Come eat the flesh. Of mighty men, of kings, of princes, come eat the flesh. Those that opposed him and cursed and blasphemed his name, that mocked and persecuted my brother. Those that believed him, he says, eat their flesh. They're not worthy. You know, Daniel chapter two, verse forty-four says, you know that Nebuchadnezzar had seen that dream, that that dream of that colossal figure of the the head of gold and the arms and breasts of silver and and the thighs of brass and the legs of iron and, and the the to, toes and the feet partly iron and part clay and, and of course the head represented the kingdom of Babylon, the silver, the the uh, the kingdom of Alexander the Great, the the thighs were the dual empire of of Medo-Persia. Uh, and, and then, and then the uh, legs of, of iron were Rome. You know, they were very rigid. And then the, the toes speaks of the revived Roman Empire, the democratic socialist world world uh, government we're, we're seeing trying to be pushed in our world today. And but and then at the end of that, and then it says in verse forty four, and in the days of these kings shall the God of Heaven set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. See, he's going to put down. He's going to render ineffective. He's going to deprive them of force and influence. He's going to destroy them. He's going to break them in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. And it, that is his kingdom, shall stand forever. In first Timothy chapter six, verses thirteen through sixteen, Paul says to young Timothy, I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, before Pontius Pilate, witness a good confession, but thou wilt keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate. You know what a potentate is? You know, the the pope claims to be the potentate of Christ, the vicar of Christ. He's a vicar of hell. That's what he is. He's a false prophet. No, the potentate means a powerful prince, one of great authority, and it says that he will show who is the only potentate, the only one the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality. You know, all the potentates and kings of this world, they're not immortal. They're mortal. They all die. But he's alive. Who only hath immortality dwelling in the light, which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen or can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. So the resurrection... Of Christ means he will reign. He will put down all kingdoms and all authority, and he will reign. And then, why don't you notice the final thing? Our belief in his resurrection is signified by our dying with him. Now, in verses 29 through 34, there's a passage that's a little hard to understand. But it says, "Else, what shall they do which are baptized for the dead, if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I protest by the rejoicing which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, I die daily. If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Be not deceived; evil communications corrupt good manners." Awake to righteousness, and sin not. For some have not acknowledged God. I speak this to your saint. You know, if you put this, you know, this is not saying that, uh, you know, the Mormons teach that they, uh, and I'm trying to remember the name they call proxy baptism, I think, that, that you can be baptized in somebody else's place so that that person can get eternal life. That is not what this passage is teaching. But if you keep it into context, we're talking about death, burial, and resurrection. And if you put it in the historical context of the then-present world, you know, baptism—you know, of—your of, know, baptism pictures death. And in the then-present world of this writing, it exposed those who were baptized, exposed them to the vengeance and persecution of the world. For baptism is a public testimony of union with Christ, the crucified and resurrected Savior. And it, again, it exposed one to vengeance and persecution of the world. Now, this wasn't just in those days. In his book, The History of Baptists, J.T. Christian, in page 127 and 28, writes concerning the Baptists, uh, in, in, uh, and I quote it says Urbanus Regis was likewise a witness of the practice of the Baptists at Augsburg. he was a resident of the city at the time he was a learned man, a university student honored by the Emperor Maximilian who was Catholic and a follower of Luther in 1528 two letters were written by the Baptists of Augsburg, and Regis answered these letters he discussed at length the positions of the Baptists on infant baptism. Of course, the Baptists always wrote in opposition and said that infant baptism is an error. It's not taught in the scriptures. And of course, the Lutherans and the other Catholics taught it, and so the Baptists were considered heretics worthy of death. And so, so he talks about that. Uh, he, in regard to the form of baptism, there is a picture on the title page that shows the Baptists in the practice of immersion. So here's a guy who's the enemy of the Baptists, and in his book he has this picture, and let me me read the description of this picture. There's a large expanse of water, an ocean we judge by the appearance of a ship in the waters, and these waters are full of Baptists, nude, and practicing immersion. From one side of the stream the Baptists, in great numbers, are tumbling into the waters. From the other side flows a river which is washing the Baptists out of the sea into a flaming fire. The baptism waters of Baptists becomes the fires of hell. And there even stands one shaking a viper into the fire while gaping multitudes approve. This is the prejudiced picture of their practice of immersion. Unquote. You know, to those in the Middle Ages to be baptized in a Baptist church exposed you to great persecution, burning at the stake, or other forms of torture. You see, Jesus said they hated me and they'll hate you. It meant, to them, it meant loss, hardship, suffering, and sometimes death. And that's why Paul says in verse 31 I die daily. I have to die daily. I have to give up my own life daily. Because there is a reality that I may die today for what I stand for, for what I believe, for believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and being baptized. Burying my own life and resurrection to new life in Christ, testifying to the world that I believe in the resurrection of Christ, could cost me my life. And what he's saying is the others who are baptized after me are kind of like replacing those that are dying. He wrote to the Philippians, Philippians chapter 1 says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. You know, we have become comfortable, we of course are not persecuted, seldom ridiculed, but there is, a, there is an animosity or disdain spoken of by the majority of evangelicalism today, even, against Baptists. Beware of the Baptists. Yeah. Um, there's this, this disdain. And so Paul says, you know, our belief in his resurrection is signified by our willingness to die with him, our willingness to bury my life to testify to the world that I'm bearing my life and I'm resurrecting to new life in Christ. That's what baptism pictures. He says, why stand we in jeopardy every hour? You know, this is not a game. It is to be, it is, the idea of jeopardy here is to be in peril, to be in danger every hour. And that was the Christian life in the world then. That was the way it was. That's the way it still is in some parts of the world. Still is that way. And we, so often, we fear what people think of us. You know, the modern Christian attitude is I'm not putting my life in danger. I'm not going to suffer for someone else. I don't want to be different. I don't want to die to self. But the reality is, without a willingness to die to self, there will not be a resurrection. Now that sounds strong. But except you repent. To repent means to change your mind. It means to bring your will to surrender your will to God. Except you repent, you shall likewise perish. In verses 32 through 34, he goes on and says, If after the manner of manna. I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Be not deceived. Ye communications corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. You see, if there isn't a resurrection, a resurrection, why would I risk my life? Paul says. "We said, I die daily. Why? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I am willing. You know, in John chapter 12, verse 23 to 25, Jesus said to accept the corn of wheat fall on the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth fruit. He that saveth his life shall what? Lose it. He that loses his life shall find it. If you're not willing to surrender, to, to, to die to self, will there be life? Just as a seed is put in the ground, if it doesn't give up its own self, there will be no fruit thereof. You know, there's, there's interesting wording there in John, John chapter 12. It, it says this. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. I thought about that a little bit. Do you hate your life? No, pastor, no, you're not supposed to hate yourself. That's really not what it means. What it means is this. Are all relationships submitted to and subject to the will of the Father? Does he have preeminence or precedence in your life over other relationships? See, that's what it means to hate your own life. In Matthew chapter 12, and verses uh, forty-six through fifty. Matthew mean, Matthew twelve forty-six. This is what Jesus taught. Here's an example of it. Matthew twelve forty-six. While he yet talked to to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with it. You know, they were they were concerned about him being a little bit too fanatical. Because his brethren at this point didn't believe in him. And so they were concerned about him. And so they tell him, your mother and your brethren are out desiring to speak with it. But he answered, verse 48, and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of my father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister Mother. In other words, the will of the Father took precedence over his relationship with his mother and his brethren. That's what it means to hate your life. Now, he did not hate his mother. He loved his mother dearly. In fact, when he's on the cross suffering, he said to his, his 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 friend that he loved, which is John, Behold thy mother. And he said to his mother, Behold thy son. And what he was saying there was, John, you take care of my mother. I'm going. You take care of my mother. You see, our belief in the resurrection signifies our dying with him by baptism burial in water, and resurrecting into new life. That's what baptism pictures. You know, do you have the resurrection life? A life of God through the Son of God and His sacrifice for your sin? Are you in Him who is life? Have you been born again? You know, as in Adam, all die. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. You know, we can only have eternal life by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Belief. Those that believe that He died and rose again have assurance and confidence of eternal life. Do you have that assurance today? Have you submitted yourself to Him? Let's pray.